Welcome back to the morning grind. Dean here. Dean's still with you. Uh, stepping in once again for Stevie, who's uh, stepped away from his podcast here temporarily. Don't worry, he'll be back soon enough. Of course, right now, he is concentrating on his uh, his NASCAR content. So if you guys want NASCAR content, you know where to hit him up for that. Uh, so once again, we're going to keep doing our DFS personality showcase, uh, talking to the guys in the DFS space and just sort of uh, getting their origin story and then kind of, you know, getting their own uh, personal uh you know, little, little things they'll add to it. And we have a good one today. We're going to be talking to uh, Rusty Nuts from Elite Fantasy. Going to bring him in just a second. We do want to say, though, uh, if you want to listen to some of the old ones, we've talked to Head Chopper, Andy Means, Beer Makers Fan, uh, Emac, Ricky Sanders, Grant Meefer. You can check those out on the YouTube page. You can check those out on the uh, the podcast page as well, too, here. Uh, with that, without further ado, we're going to bring in, yes, I did say Rusty Nuts. If you guys are not aware of that name, that's that's who we're bringing in from Elite Fantasy. I, I guess I call you Rusty. What's going on, Rusty? Nuts? Hey, what's going on, man? Yep, Rusty's good. That's what everyone calls me. <laughs> it sounds, is it, that, go ahead. <laughs> it would probably be on my paycheck if I didn't tell them my real name. So, <laughs> so is that like my my uh, Dean 704, it's just like a stupid email I made years ago. Is that, did you make Rusty Nuts like as a weird email years ago? Or you No, actually, mine's a gamer tag i've had since what now over 20 years ago i used to be real big in the unreal tournament and stuff long before games were as popular as they are now so i was like a ranked uh unreal tournament player and my character in the game was always a rusty robot so i named him rusty nuts with a z that's the distinction. Yeah, I should I should have qualified. S was probably taken for what it's worth. I'm guessing. Yeah, I think it's like some hot rod builder or something. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll accept that. I'll let him have it. You found the loophole and like Rusty N U T Z. There you go. Rusty right. Nuts DFS on Twitter. Uh, what what is that game? Uh, what kind of game? What kind of concept is that? Is Unreal that Tournament. Or? That's the original uh, first person shooter. That's pretty much like Overwatch and Call of Duty, and them are all based off of that Unreal Engine and stuff that they had years back. I mean, back then, it was, like, the best graphics games, you know, that you could get out there. It was one of the first ones that was online. First-person shooter, you could just jump in and, uh, you know. Is kind of like Doom? Yeah, similar to Doom. Uh, okay. Just, you know, better graphics. It, it, was more, it was the first one that had the different maps. Like, you'd load in, and you'd just get dropped into a map, and then, you you know, your team would be 4v4 or 3v3 or whatever you signed up for, and you'd just go in and kill each other until you were the last one standing. So that was, uh, you know, it, it came out along the, it, like now Counter-Strike is still around and that's, you know, big and that's been out since uh, Unreal Tournament days. So that's a, an oldie that's still around. So, Are you playing that in DFS? Do you play the Counter-Strike DFS or that's not for you? You know, I should be. I wish I had time, like uh, even with uh, the lack of sports and stuff, uh, since I handle mostly site development and tools and pretty much everything else on the back end. Uh, I haven't had much time to really dig in and play, uh, you know, play as much as I'd like. You know, uh, I, I have friends and stuff that are big into League of Legends and ranked guys and stuff like that too. And um, but I just they're always, oh yeah, you should get into it now. It's big, all these big prize pools and stuff. But I wish I had more time. That's the one trade off people don't realize when you become a tout or, you know, in my case, doing all the tech and stuff. It, it tends to eat up more of your time than it used to. Than when uh, when I used to play professionally um now i just don't have the the time to put in the research and stuff like that um yeah time time is a commodity and not just oh, time yeah. being a commodity it's also about uh you know when you have your time is your time available from six o'clock to seven o'clock on the east coast all at the lock or are you available from one o'clock and depending on the sport like of course news changes as well too so 
Oh, and that always happens. You have, you know, like I love NBA. NFL is about the only one that I can play because there's plenty of time to get lineups and stuff in. But, you know, even then, uh, like, you know, in this last season running three sites, uh, you know, between Fantasy Guru and Elite Fantasy and Elite Sports Betting. And then, you know, it's an hour before lock or half an hour before lock and I'm doing my working on my own stuff. And then one of the servers goes down or the projections aren't loading or there's always something. And then I got to jump on that because your teams are dead. Customers come first. And so then I'm just looking at my dead YOLO lineups at that point. (laughs) So you, uh, you mentioned gaming. Are you still gaming like on your own? Actually, you still playing You get your own gaming chair and then the man cave and things of that sort. Oh yeah. Yeah. My office doubles. I have uh three 36 inch LG 4k curve widescreen monitors. I use oh, wow. for coding, but it's also, it doubles as a pretty good uh, gaming rig. I have a, a newer, one of the, an Alienware uh, area 51 and uh, each monitor is driven by its own 1080 X card, uh, eight gig card. So it's, you know, I play any game on full, full graphics, full everything. So um, mostly play with, uh, I have a lot of friends now uh, that are, around the country and in Canada and stuff now. Uh, so we play a lot of Overwatch or uh, used to play a, uh, a lot of like Heroes of the Storm, League of Legends. Um, so that's uh, whatever it is. And we basically just sit up all night, you know, playing uh, whatever we're playing that night, getting drunk. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much the only way we get to see each other anymore. You know, it's can't just hop a flight to Toronto and, you know, go hang out at this point with, with everything that's going on. So, yeah. And we're going to talk about the, that with you specifically, because uh, you had an experience, you, you had a, uh, uh, you know, a, a big scare with uh, actually having the coronavirus, which we'll get, we'll get into it yeah. soon enough. Uh, but we, we want to have it fun, have some fun first and then get, <laughs> get it serious. And we'll get light after that, I suppose. Sure. Uh, and really I, I wanted to just, uh, I, what really attracted to you, uh, me to you was your meat. Well, oh, wait yeah. a second. That there's, there's probably a better way to phrase Everyone's that. attracted to my new feed. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> your Twitter feed. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you're pumping out an Instagram anytime soon, but like the, your grilling is uh, super impressive. And, uh, when I follow you, it just makes me hungry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and probably uh, lots makes of Makes me hungry too, and I'm actually eating it. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to dig into that as well too. But uh, from the beginning, uh, it says you're, you're from Chicago. You're in Chicago, born and raised in Chicago or no? Yeah, born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Wow, that's so weird because we've had, what, three, what, seven guests and three of the seven guests so far, uh, yourself, Ricky Sanders, and Andy Means, all you guys are Chicago-based. I've talked to him about the Jordan documentary, and I imagine I'll talk to you about that as well, too. Uh, you are of the particular age, I, I believe, where you yeah, watched Jordan I'm, as a kid? Uh, 44, so I was around for the whole Jordan. That was my uh, there you go. prime. So. so did you go to the games? Did you watch it on TV all the yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, I uh, back then – uh, this was, you know, in the, in the mid to late nineties there, um, they, my, I actually got married when I was 19 years old. So I did everything in reverse instead of waiting until I was older, <laughs> I got married when I was younger. Wow. Um, and my, uh, brother-in-law at the time, he was a huge, huge Bulls fan. And, uh, so yeah, he had season tickets. So I got lucky and got to see a lot of the games, got to see the guys play in, in uh, person. So, um, that's why I, I don't take, uh, guys like uh big t or anything serious because all they're looking at is youtube videos i got to see the goat in person <laughs> and what you're saying I, I think what you're alluding to is how big t is on team lebron over team oh, yeah. and force the yeah. juice he's just misguided that's all i got i got bad we, we don't have to get into it there's no well we can just appreciate and enjoy both or but you don't have yeah, to choose yeah. they're not they're both great players i love seeing lebron's flops he's great at it <laughs> 
Jordan's never flopped before. It's never oh. once happened. In the, they didn't put that in the documentary. I wonder no, why. No, Maybe never. because he produced it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jordan's great. He's great. And uh, yeah, oh, dude, he's a killer. That's the one thing I'm so great about. I'm glad about this documentary. Yeah. That, uh, you know, we didn't have Twitter and, you know, we had AOL back then. That was about it. But sure. It was, ASL, no social, question mark. Yeah, there was no social media. These guys didn't, weren't under the microscope like they are now. And you didn't know all their aspects of their personal lives. Um, and everything was a lot more local. So these guys um, had a big reputation here in Chicago. You know, everyone knew them from, you know, the clubs and the, and the restaurants and thing everywhere, what they were, how they were. And everyone knew, you know, you kind of had a, being from Chicago, you knew how Mike actually was. But his handlers did a good job, obviously, of keeping that out of the news and everything. And so if you weren't from Chicago, everyone had this, you know, hey, be like Mike and this, Mm-hmm. You know, good guy, wholesome image that he had. And then, you know, if you actually followed him here and, and, and saw the stuff that these guys were doing now that you're, you're starting to see it now in the documentary, I mean, the guy was just a killer, man. Like he, he was, uh, he was something else. And we were happy for it, man, because, uh, I mean, we're still paying the price for it. I mean, here we are 20 something years later. And <laughs> oh, the Bulls are a disaster. I'm sorry. But, hey, yeah. you had a good run. You got six championships. You can't complain, I suppose. Yeah, no, no, no complaints here whatsoever. So, um, yeah. So, but the story, there's a lot of stories about Jordan. And, like, do you think, how do you think that the perception would be different uh, if he uh, had to play day in, day out under the Twitter and Facebook, you know, microscope that the players today have to play? I honestly think he would have. I mean, he's older now so like when you see him in the documentary and stuff he seems like he kind of shies away from it but back then i think he would have been uh, i think he'd have been a ruthless man like he just he just he has that killer instinct i don't know that he could just stay quiet uh you know i think his ego would be too much back then you know people would be talking trash and stuff and i mean Outside of your marketing guys, I mean, that's the thing. Like, his handlers, as far as keeping him out of the spotlight and stuff, that would have been the only thing that would have kept him, uh, you know, from just uh, just desecrating people on uh, Twitter and stuff, I believe. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, might have blown Gary a Payton. few of his uh, deals for uh, Nike and stuff like that. But Wait, say it again? I said, I wonder, I, it might have been a, it blew some of his deals for Nike or something if he was uh, to go yeah. too far out there. But yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're seeing it now, like all these years later, how he really was, and you didn't get a whiff of that. You know, he had that wholesome, you know, Michael Jordan was the greatest, and he, you know, no, uh, could do no wrong. You know, yeah. like, then here in Chicago, you know, he's having illegitimate kids and stuff, and that was yeah. in the news, but it never got nationwide. Like nobody cared. There's a reason why his ex-wife was not in the documentary. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and like it's like even not not just Jordan, but like Rodman going to you know, Vegas or Atlantic City in between games, or just taking you know certain games off in the middle of the season. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the middle of the finals, he's hanging out with uh, the NWO, the New World Order, Hulk oh, yeah. Hogan. Like, how does that play in 2020? Dude, here in Chicago, he was – I mean, Chicago, everybody pretty much keeps to yourself. I mean, if you, you've ever been up this way, I mean, it's – I haven't. I mean, it's great city. I, I mean, I've lived in New York and in New Jersey at times of my life and that area, and I've been pretty much everywhere else, and I ended up coming back here. And, you know, you have the national view of Chicago. All they concentrate on is, like, the murders and things like that. But it's a small – you know which are horrible, like obviously, um, but that's a small area of Chicago that has the majority of the murders and it's, 
nowhere near the downtown area. Like, I mean, I always tell people when they come here for the first time, when they're, you know, their first, oh, I don't know, man, it's pretty scary up there. I'm like, it's like 45 minutes from the downtown area just to get to the area with the that you see mostly in the news. If you're out that way, you shouldn't be because <laughs> you're doing something you shouldn't be doing and you're just asking for trouble. Um, but, I mean, the city itself is beautiful and it's uh, – uh, but like I said, the people couldn't be more friendly. You know, people here are more than willing to help anyone out. You know, you ask directions, whatever. You're never going to find someone more hospitable than here. And it was the same thing with those guys, even Rodman in that day and age. And uh, I mean, the guy used to walk around town in dresses and stuff here. Nobody batted an eyelash. They didn't yeah. Care. Nobody cares. Well, it was like a big national story, I think. Wasn't he in a dress in like Sports Illustrated? Or am I combining him with Ricky yeah, Williams? So both those guys do that. When he came out with his book, he had a big signing here in Chicago yeah, uh, down on Michigan Avenue. And he wore like a wedding dress and, uh, you know, had his hair dyed and everything for the book signing. And we were there. I mean, it was as big, a big a turnout as you would see for like, you know, uh, like, was, like a, one of the teams winning or something. It was huge. I mean, I, I remember going down there. It was like uh, any other parade or anything like that. But like everybody was such huge fans. Like I think everyone in Chicago has a signed copy of that. I think I got two or three of those books signed by Rodman still somewhere. In the <laughs> Bad as I want to be. Is that what it was? Yeah. 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 There you go. Uh, I remember the, I remember the cover. Uh, so is this just because it rhymes? Is, uh, is that why people assume it? Uh, Scotty Pippen. Is he no tipping Scotty Pippen? <laughs> I've heard that about him, that he's pretty cheap. Uh, you know, now we know why he was, I know he had a terrible contract, like, <laughs> but still it's not the waiter's fault. <laughs> no, no. I mean, people don't realize like I, I and I'm almost positive it was Pippen. I can't remember this so long ago, but even then, like one of them, he got busted, uh, with a you know carrying a gun which is just not back then there was no concealed carry or anything like that that got kind of hush hushed and um but yeah no these guys were all at the clubs and everything i used to actually work as a bouncer here when i was in my 20s uh in chicago and we used to have um you know you'd have the bulls come through we'd have the you a, a ton of the uh whoever was playing the cubs or the Sox, you know baseball like the night before yeah. they would come to the clubs i mean it was the great sports betting back then because i'd be a, i'm a bouncer at the club in the vip area and these guys would come in and they'd be leaving at six in the morning and they got a game at noon and i'm like yep this is an easy bet you know like these guys aren't gonna make it you know so uh <laughs> that's uh, yeah. did you, oh, that's amazing. That, that's a, a yeah. good way to game the system for sure. And too bad there wasn't the FS back then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So what's the craziest time. thing you've seen? Uh, an athlete, uh, I don't know if you want to name names or whatever, the craziest thing you've seen as a bouncer. Oh, uh, geez. Let me think. Uh, Anything stand out? There's a bunch of stories. I'm trying <laughs> to think of a good one. <laughs> All sorts of debauchery. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, what team was it? I think it was the Cardinals, I want to say. And I just remember, uh, one, if there's any uh, any ladies listening, uh, stay as much as it's as as much as it sounds enticing to uh, marry a, a baseball player or any professional athlete, stay away. <laughs> that was my advice. I mean, they they would literally, we'd have you know. I remember it was the Cardinals. I think it was they were the worst, and that's because they were in town all the time because of uh, the uh, playing the Cubs. But I mean, there was half the team at the time came they were up in the vip area and they literally started like a roped off line and every girl in the club was you know that wanted to go into the vip area and was was in there just lined up and you know then we would let them in you know as there was space and yeah you know 
there was no camera phones back then. Let's just say that was uh, yeah probably a really really good thing. <laughs> and the next day you bit the cubbies. Oh yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, we had a you know the place I was working for had a six a.m. liquor license, so we would close at six, and these guys were getting into their limos and stuff at six in the morning. I mean, they closed the place, and uh, the um, they and I'm thinking there's just no way. Like I, to this day, I, I because of that, and I know things don't change. Like when I when I do play MLB, yeah, I don't I don't play Sundays. Like I just don't do it. Same thing with basketball. Like we people see guys just out of nowhere. Now they can just say, "Oh, they're resting," but otherwise they'd get some mysterious stomach flu or something like that. It's like, no, nah, man, they were out all night. You know, the so. story I think of, and this is obviously an outlier. Uh, David Wells wasn't he like up all night partying at the SNL after party on Saturday? Yeah. And he yeah. went. Uh, he went. Uh, woke up the next morning, hammered, you know, hung over, and threw a no hitter. Yeah, sure that right? guy was a beast, man. <laughs> he was dead for that, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. These, <laughs> some of these guys, they couldn't function if they weren't like that, man. They're like uh, the Tommy G of, of professional sports, right? Like, <laughs> they function better on a on a vendor, you know. So yeah, it's like the Liam Neeson. Everyone, everyone's got a particular set of skills. That was a uh, that, that was David Wells' particular set of, set of skills, I suppose. I do. Uh, now that you're saying, I, I do have a couple. Blackhawk stories, but one real quick, like one real quick. Uh, I used to place I used to work years ago. Uh, one of the girls that I work with, super sweet girl, and uh, but she was from Iowa, just came to Chicago, and she was oh. like a fish out of water, right? Like um, she got a job at uh, at Rockets, uh, which one of the restaurants out here that the uh, Hawks always frequented. She has no idea who any of these guys were, like. Um, she just knew that they were players, you know, like hockey players, but she didn't follow hockey. She was a waitress there uh, part-time on the weekends and stuff while she was working um, at the medical place that I was working at. And um, she would come in and talk to me and, and uh, just completely naive uh, and just like, you know, she would just tell me like, Oh, I did this this weekend. And, this, and I'd be like, oh, you're going to get yourself killed. Like, what are you doing? Well, she's got this job at Johnny Rockets. She's there. And, um, she's waiting on this table and they're all talking to her. And the one guy is like flirting with her, but he's like kind of real bashful. And she's like, whatever, taking their order and stuff. And finally she comes up and uh, the guy who's talking to her goes, do you, you know, he's making small talk. He goes, do you even know who we are? And she's like, well, you're hockey players, right? One of the girls said it. And he goes, yeah, I'm Jonathan Taze. It was Jonathan Taze that was talking to her. And he's like, he's like, do you, what do you think of my buddy here? And uh, the other player there is all blushing and stuff, and he was real bashful. And and um, she's like, "What do you mean?" And she's like, "He's like, he likes you, but uh, you know, do you even know who he is?" And she's like, "No." And he's like, "This is Patrick Kane. He's uh, he's a, was the rookie of the year or whatever it was. This was in his rookie year." And so Jonathan Tate sets the two of them up. She took his, he gave her his number. They went went out on two dates, two or three dates. And then she, I'm like, I'm like, this is crazy. I'm like. I'm like thinking I'm going to get tickets out of this at least. right? <laughs> you got to work your own angle in there somehow. And so then she comes in the one weekend, you know, one day, like after a weekend and she's like, you know, and she's talking to me. She's like, Oh, I'm like, so how's things going with you and Patrick? And she goes, Oh yeah, I ended that. I'm not going to see him again. I go, what? And she goes, yeah. I mean, I realized he's a hockey player and I, I mean, he's a professional athlete and he travels a lot and I don't want to get cheated on and stuff. I'm looking for more, you know, if I'm going to be married, oh. I go married. You went on two dates. Like <laughs> <laughs> and you've already decided this. And she's just like, yeah. 
She's like, yeah, he was nice and all, but yeah, I just don't want to deal with it. And I'm just sitting there in my head like crazy, like this guy, you know. I'm like, you could have, you, you know, you have two dates and you're. What already- about my? What about your tickets? Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> She wasn't so selfish or not think of you. Uh, so we normally do these on, on YouTube and there's video and uh, they could see you. If people can't see you. They can hear you. They can tell you have a booming masculine voice. Yeah. I imagine uh, you're a bouncer because I don't know. I've met you before. Six, three, six, four, six, five. Six, what are we? Six, seven. I was getting there. I was working my way up. <laughs> yeah, I was so, trying to dig my camera out. That's what I was going to say about rescheduling because I know I have a camera somewhere. You would think with all my tech stuff and all the. Oh, you're good. No worries. Except uh, I'm never on the air. They don't ever want me. That's not <laughs> so uh, I'm paid to put everyone else on the air. So I couldn't find my camera. But yeah, no, I'm six, seven, three fifty. So. Uh, is that is that the interview for bouncing? It's just like this. I'm six seven three fifty. You should hire me. Is that it? Yeah. Like see, back in the nineties, I used to fight um, like UFC and uh, you know a lot of the Kyokushin, like uh, K one and okay, um, uh, Shidakan and like uh, uh, what what else? There was a couple like uh, Atlantic City and Vegas. Uh, you know, Costa Rica, like we would everywhere. It was back. Is this amateur or professional or what? What they're just no, it was or... professional. Like this was UFC before the whole Dana White era and stuff. Um, like I used to train with uh, my trainer was uh, also Shamrock's trainer. Like I met Frank and Ken Shamrock, and um, you know I used to train with uh, Bart Vale. Who any of the old school guys would know who Bart was. He was, uh, I mean, he was uh, he was a monster, and he. Uh, fought a lot in Japan. A lot of this came out of Japan back then. It wasn't like this at all. Like there were no rules. There was no time limits. Like well, they used to have like 500 pound guys, like fight like 200 pound guys or 150 well, Keith pound Hackney, guys. who, uh, my, uh, trainer, master Sweeney, one of them, uh, was also trained Keith Hackney, who is the giant killer. That's the one you see, uh, all the time. He looks small. He's a fight in Emmanuel Yarborough. He's the, uh, yes. Guy. So Keith looks small, but Keith's about six three, like six three, six four ish, and two hundred and forty pounds, and all muscle, and uh, a Ken Pol karate guy, and uh, you know from from Chicago here too, and uh, so we used to, you know, I was obviously much younger than him at the time, so we used to train in the same dojo and stuff, and uh, he he fought the UFC, and he that's what he's always been known for is the giant killer because he was he was just doing those open hand palm strikes to Emmanuel Yarbrough's head, so. Um, but yeah, we used to do all the all those fights. I have friends, you know. Some I mean, I was at Tito Ortiz's first fight. You know, uh, you know, uh, I actually met him through Tank Abbott back then. Uh, I mean, uh, the ultimate like just like every man brawler, Tank Abbott. Yeah, dude. And, he, and the thing is, as much as a, a rap as he gets is like the bad boy, and he's just this, you know complete ass on on when he was on TV and stuff. He's actually in person. He's a really cool guy. Like. Uh, you know, every time I've met him, I think twice now. And you know, every time I met him, he was, he was a cool dude. A lot of those guys are, I mean, people think like you, a lot of that is obviously just nowadays is they play it up, you know, the whole McGregor and this guy hate each other or this guy. And, Cause it makes for good uh, TV back then, you know, you didn't have social media and stuff. So uh, we'd have a fight and, you know, then the 12, you know, 12 guys all limping and, broken bones and stuff would all be out drinking until four in the morning after the fights and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, So you remember this and a lot of listeners probably don't remember this. And like now you can see UFC on uh, Fox sports one. Anytime you want to basically it's, it's on all the time. It's on ESPN. Now it's, it's socially acceptable, but 
uh, I remember in the nineties, like there would be like videotapes, like you couldn't find UFC anywhere. And like, you get like these right. underground videotapes of like, watch this fighting. Like you'd watch it. It's like, this is crazy. And, uh, you had politicians. So I get McCain yeah. was one of them that was not embracing it there in Arizona, I believe. Um, but it's just incredible how far it's come. And you mentioned Dana, Dana White. What did he buy the UFC for? Like $5 million? Oh, yeah, it was dude, essentially it was, a dead product. It was it was pretty much dead at that point. Regulations pretty much killed it. And I mean, the funny thing you're speaking of the tapes, I mean, I have a whole closet full, of like an entire shelf full of, of VHS tapes from Thailand, Japan, uh, the US, you know, like it just underground bootleg tapes and stuff. Because that's pretty much all you could see that back then. You know, there was very little... Other than the K1, which was huge in Japan, um, you could get those. You could see that on ESPN every so often, like late at night or whatnot. But for the most part, you had to get everything was taped, and you'd have to wait for the tapes. Or then, when even when DVDs first came out, you'd have to wait for them to come out on DVDs, which could take months because they have to edit all the footage and the fights and put all the commentary and stuff on there. So yeah, it was a completely different animal back then. Um, also, the fights, the UFC and the bare knuckle fights that we used to do. You know, I used to do more of the bare knuckle stuff. You know, oh, wow. That was bare knuckle, full contact. You know, only thing you basically do is tape up your wrist, just so you could you know keep your wrist straight when you were punching. That was all they would allow. That's like gangs of New York style, man. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and that was traditional, traditional uh, Kyokushin karate from Japan. That's just bare knuckle, full contact. That was your specialty. Yeah, that's what I did the most of. Um, uh, talk about cutting weight. Is and then uh, you didn't really get paid much. We used to have to fight four or five times in a day. No, I mean, that's why I've always been in the heavyweight, so I never never had to worry about cutting weight. <laughs> you could be whatever you want as a heavyweight, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm right now I'm 6'7", 350. Back then, with my fighting weight, I was, I'd help go between like 290 and 305, like 306. So I was about 50 pounds lighter than I am now, but uh, and <laughs> a lot more muscle. Uh, now I've replaced that with uh, grilled meats and beer. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's there's a Venn diagram or there's a cause and reaction to that, I suppose. But exactly. it's delicious. We'll talk about that soon enough. And but, if yeah. you guys aren't following uh, Rusty Nuts DFS on the Twitter machine, uh, I don't, we talked about it privately. If uh, maybe you're gonna have Instagram fired up soon, just uh, of your grilling. But we w- yeah, my daughter yells at me because she already doesn't like that I have more followers than her on Twitter. Uh, I don't have, I do have an Instagram account, but I never use it. I don't even know what it is to log in. Yeah. I, I just recently got a TikTok account and I was going to start doing TikTok, uh, TikTok videos of, of me grilling and she threatened to like disown me as a father if I did that. So you're ruining TikTok for the kids. Once the adults right. are doing it, it's not cool. Exactly. Is that, is that the, is that her angle? Basically what she told me. Yeah. How old is she? My youngest is 17. Yeah. Okay. That sounds about yeah. right. Yeah. My oldest is 24. My uh, my oldest is my daughter. She's 24. My son's 21. And then my youngest is 17. As I, like I said, I got married when I was 19. So me and my ex-wife, uh, we had their kids young. So I'm only 44 now. And the last one's about to go to college. So, Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. That's, uh, <laughs> do you have any advice for, uh, for fathers <laughs> out there? Yeah, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any kids. I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. It's uh I mean, I love them to death, and, it, and it's a long road. But and you know, it, when you're 19, 20, and you think like, "Oh, I got this," no, you don't. It's, uh, <laughs> well, when did one. you figure it out, or have you? You're still kind of figuring it out. Yeah, I mean, all three of them are. You know, my my oldest went to Columbia, and she's she's working wow. you know, in education. She's got her master's in education, and um, you know, she's actually working for a college. 
here in Chicago and um, same thing with my son. Yeah, he's he's actually into the video editing and stuff like that. So he'll uh, help me out every so often and show him how to, you know, show him some of the producing and stuff like that. Uh, you know, but that's all small change compared to the stuff he likes to do. And then my youngest one is, she's actually, I think she's looking to go to Ohio University of Ohio or Ohio State, one of those is her where she wants to go or Michigan, something like that. But she's actually uh, into forensic. Like she wants to be like a forensic chemist or forensic. She's watching a lot of CSI. Yeah, she loves that kind of stuff. So <laughs> Dateline and things of that sort. She's young, so. Uh, just just for a second, welcome back. Were you saying? I, I feel like I cut you off before. Were you saying you fight three to four times in a day sometimes? Oh yeah, yeah. Back then in the UFC and even the other events, the Kyokushin stuff, you would fight three to four times in a day. Uh, you'd get there, you know, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Your first fight would be at 11. You'd fight, a, depending on how many fighters made the, the cut, you'd have like a preliminary fight. The winner of that would then go on to a quarterfinal. The winner of that would go to a semifinal. The winner of that would go to the finals. So you had guys, just because even if you lost, it, you may still get a chance to go on because if you fought the guy – you know, someone beat you, but they took more damage and couldn't carry on. You were, if you were able to go, then you would just, you would get by default, you'd move up. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. That's what the pay-per-views are sometimes. Right. I remember yeah, this now. Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. I mean, it was just, it, they really didn't, they just, I mean, they just wanted fights, right? Like they could care less about your record. They could care less about who you were. Uh, they just wanted warm bodies in there. Um, and that was like, like the UFC and the sheet and like the ones that were on ESPN and stuff. Those ones were all reputable. I fought in a few that were, uh, and Jeff Manns, you know, if anyone is familiar with Jeff, he's from Chicago too, and he's the same age as me, so he's familiar with a lot of this stuff out here. Um, we used to have things called weekend wars that they would put on locally, and they would just be at some <laughs> some random uh, church gym somewhere, gymnasium on the weekend. You would show up, and you know, depending on how many times you had fought, you have a certain rate. You know, be a couple hundred bucks or something. And you would just go in and fight. You have no idea who you're fighting, what kind of weight class, if the guy's taller, bigger, whatever. You just showed up to fight. The ring was just disgusting. It was just all bloodstained. Some of the boards would be broken, so you'd have to watch where you're stepping. Um, they would have a table set up, and they would just be cracking beers and charging five bucks a beer, and people would just be betting on you in the crowd. I mean, it was literally looked like like a really crappy version of like, you know, blood, blood sport. sport. Like, <laughs> I'm like John Van Dam, And that's what I'm, that's my image oh, yeah. in my head. And that was the era. So that's what people wanted to see. So the, when you would fight, the only thing, the only rule that you had to go by is you had to throw a minimum of 10 kicks above the waist per round because people wanted to see the flashy roundhouses and stuff like Van Dam, Right. So like, you couldn't just come in there, and be just a boxer or come in and do late kicks and take someone out. So it was minimum of 10 kicks per round above the waist. So that way people would see the flashy stuff. That's what they were there for. Um, once you had your 10, then you do whatever you want, but you, you had to throw at least 10 or else you'd be disqualified after that round. They would declare the other guy the winner. What a weird qualifier, but I get it. I understand it. Uh, two, two more fighting questions before we move on. One, sure. uh, do you have the cauliflower ears? No, uh, I don't. I'm lucky. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, and secondly, I don't know how you dodged that. It seems like everyone, everyone of those fighters have them, but uh, Me good too, for you. Because that was always a thing back then, too. And uh, <laughs> my nose, I have broken it. I've had surgery to repair it because it was so bad inside. Like, I couldn't, 
breathe. <laughs> but uh, it, you can't really tell. I've gotten lucky there, too. Some of these guys that I fought with, their noses are so mangled. Uh, it's ridiculous now. Uh, it looks like a tree root, you know, but uh, I've gotten away yeah. too. So Yeah, so that kind of leads to my next question. Uh, most memorable fights? Most memorable fight? Uh, so one that sort of stands out or maybe somebody took the most damage or... I guess I, would say, I mean I had a I had a fight on that was on ESPN actually years ago. Um, oh, had a couple of them, but the one I'd say my very first big fight was was a pay per view fight. Uh, and this was ninety, I want to say ninety six, and uh, yeah, I fought a guy. He was an Israeli special forces guy, and uh, oh boy, he was about six four two forty, and. Uh, me and him just went to town. This was bare knuckle, full contact. And uh, we just went to like the first two rounds, just beating the tar out of each other. And uh, what finally happened, uh, and it seemed like an eternity, it was only two rounds, but he actually kicked. Uh, and I saw he, you know, we kicked with his, uh, his left leg, he was roundhouse. And I had dropped my guard for a second because I was going in to punch him or whatever. And I remember seeing his foot coming towards my head. And I just thought, this is it. This is lights out. You know, I mean, this guy's, you know, uh, he's a killer. Time just slows down. You can see it coming, but you can't yeah. really imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. You get all the adrenaline pumping, everything slow. And I could see his foot coming and it hit me in the face and the side of my head. And then my head kind of went a couple degrees to the, to my left. And I thought for sure I'm out and my head goes to the left and boom. Um, I, I'm still conscious and I straighten my head up. And he falls down. Well, what had happened is it was his leg versus my head. Oh. Had one, he broke his leg uh, right above his ankle. It's he fractured. Oh. So then he was having trouble walking. So after that, I knew he was hurt. I didn't know how bad it was, um, but I knew and he, known he was hurt. So then I started going after him, and uh, I hit him in his clavicle, and I felt it like break underneath my hand. And his eyes kind of rolled back into his head and he went up against the side of the ring and he came back towards me and just out of instinct, I went to throw him, you know, he, I could have just let him fall. He was out and I went to throw him and like both of us came down on my left shoulder because he was all dead weight. And, uh, I separated my shoulder and tore it in two spots and, you know, ended up, uh, then, uh, you know, come out for the round. I couldn't even pick up my hand. And then that was it. They waved it off. So I ended up winning, but this was an example of this was the first fight of the day. So I ended up winning, but, uh, he couldn't go on and I couldn't go on. Neither one of us could. Did they have another guy like on layaway just, just to throw him out there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, someone from one of the other preliminaries or something that, that could go on and took our spot, you know? So it was like, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was just too, too much damage. So it didn't matter that you won. Uh, you know, I couldn't even pick my left arm up, you know, because it, it turns out later I found out I had what they call slap tear. I had two uh, rotator cup tears on each side of my uh, arm. And then uh, actually uh, my bicep tendon, I started shredding it and didn't realize. And to this day, I've never had the surgery. And my surgeon, who knows me well, uh, because I've had, uh, I've had 38 broken bones and a bunch of ligament tears and stuff over the years. So he's to this day told me, he's like, you'll be back at one point uh, at some time because uh, <laughs> you're eventually your arm, your biceps is going to, the tendons are going to fully shred and it's going to prolapse into your arm. And then you have no choice, but to come see me and I'm going to have to reattach it for you. I'm like, all right, I'll see you then doc. You know, like, there goes your pitching career. Yeah, that was it, man. It was, that was for that. That was uh, it. 
you uh you're the first person the only person i know like personally that the uh, has went through the coronavirus and had actually had it and yeah. you had it really bad so i wanted to touch on that I wanted that to was talk worse about than that. any of my fights <laughs> yeah that, that yeah i was gonna say that all those bones you had broken and you said you talked about it we were touching on a pre-show how you almost yeah. died you were close to that and just kind of take me through the step like uh the initial process of and how you dealt with it, yeah like how you came to yeah go ahead i still don't know for sure how i got it um it was, uh, you know, I just come back from, uh, you know, Vegas a month and a, what a month or so earlier, uh, for the FSGA that we were out there and, uh, was joking around with Jeff Manns and stuff and just saying like, Oh yeah, I'm never going to get anything after, uh, coming back from Vegas and all this. And, you know, I, I didn't take it seriously. Uh, just like everyone else, because it, it hadn't affect me and I didn't know anyone. And back in February and March, it was just starting to be prevalent, uh, that we knew about. And, um, you know, uh, I have family members and stuff that are immune compromised and stuff like that. So obviously I want to, you know, I was concerned about it, but on the same token, when something doesn't affect you, you don't really take it seriously. Um, which unfortunately we see a lot of that on our, on Twitter in this industry. Um, but I've never had the flu, never had strep throat, you know, occasional cold or something like that. So we're relatively healthy and, uh, you know, you, you, when I was younger, you always feel like you're invincible. And as you get older, you start to realize that isn't true. But on the same token, I, I just really don't get sick often. And uh, so I never anticipated it happening. Well, sure enough, uh, this was March right before um, St. Patty's Day. Um, me and my girlfriend both came down with it. Didn't know that's what it was at first. Um, at first, I just thought it was allergies. It was actually on a staff meeting and joked and said, you know, everyone's like, oh, you sound like crap. And I'm like, well, I think I have my allergies. It's not the corona. Don't worry. And they're like, well, how do you know? I'm like, well, I guess I don't. But, uh, you know, didn't think too much of it, you know, because I do get really bad seasonal allergies I've always have since I was a kid. So just figured that's what it was, chalked it up to that. Um, by the end of the week, I was just feeling worse. Um, had a fever, low-grade fever, um, just aches, pains. The first thing I did get, uh, one of the first symptoms I had was I lost my sense of smell and taste. That was one of the first things that happened, which I think was probably the worst of the symptoms, in my opinion, just because if you've never been able to smell or taste, you still can taste sweet or salt. It's the weirdest thing. And you can taste, you can feel the textures of things, but you can't taste any flavors. So you get the sensation of salt or sweet and texture. And it's just, so it, it feels like you're eating like, but you're not eating food. Like you, your stomach is growling and you're, you're starving, but anything you put in your mouth, you just want to puke. Um, so I ended up losing like 20 pounds in two weeks. Um, wow. just cause I couldn't, I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't keep anything down. Um, but I thought I was getting better. Um, you know, by Thursday, Friday was the worst. And then, you know, uh, so that was five days in. And then, um, by Saturday and Sunday, I was feeling better. Um, but I just couldn't get, shake the fever. Um, you know, I didn't really have much of a cough at that time. Um, and what I did, I was able to just use over the counter medicine, um, to keep it at bay. And I thought, okay, this is the worst it's going to get. Well, then that following Monday, it had been a week and I still wasn't improving. Um, wasn't getting worse, but I wasn't improving. Um, and so I contacted the doctor, um, and they, you know, this was early on. This was, uh, the, you know, March 16th ish um it was when i came down with it so the following week was like what the 23rd or whatever so i contacted the doctor and they did a tele exam and and 
and said, yeah, you have all the symptoms. We're going to schedule you for a test. So I did the drive through drive up test uh, out here in the suburbs of Chicago and uh, got that done. Went home. Is it like the one we see on TV where they stick it through yeah. your nose? Is that, and is that, is that yeah, hurt? it was this about 10 inch swab oh. that they stick in your nose. It's like total recall where they're trying to pull the <laughs> ball out of your head, the tracker. Uh, it does. I tell people it didn't hurt because it wasn't that it hurt. It's just the most uncomfortable, annoying feeling you've ever had. But it didn't, there wasn't actual pain or blood or anything like that. It was just you're not used to getting jabbed in the back of your sinuses. So it was not pleasant. Um, But, you know, it wasn't actually painful, in my opinion. I've had other people say it's painful, but I, you know, I guess we have different different degrees of what pain is. (laughs) So, uh, you know, and it's over in a few seconds. It wasn't bad. Um, but I got tested and then the doctor calls me 24 hours later, says you were positive for, uh, negative for the flu. They test me for the flu. I was negative for that, but I was positive for the coronavirus, which is their, you know, COVID SAR 19 or whatever the technical name is. But then they also said, I also had a, some kind of new human pneumovirus or pneumococcal. I don't know. It was another double whammy. upper respiratory virus that was also decided to join in on the party. Um, <laughs> so I had two and I'm like, great. I'm like, you know, what does this mean? And she's, the doctor just told me, she said, yeah, you're, you're in week two. So this is when things normally take a turn for the worst. And I'm like, what really? Like, you know, I thought I'd be getting better. It's a week later. I feel better. She's like, I'm just want you to be prepared. If your symptoms, you know, if you start having severe trouble breathing, like if you're, you know, you can't catch your breath, if you're, you know, start having fluid on your lung, like where you're coughing up fluid and phlegm, if you're, you know, if your fever gets too high, I mean, she's giving me a whole litany of things that, um, and luckily I live right near a trauma center here on the South side that's been handling all the, all the cases. For the are you freaking out when she's running off all those things? Or yeah. Really I mean, I, what's your headspace like? When you're, when you're already in that mind space that it's been a week and you think you're going to get better like any other thing, like the flu or cold or, oh, yeah, I've been, it's a week. I'm going to be getting better. And I, and I actually had started to feel a little better. And then all of a sudden they tell you, oh, no, you got another week of this at least, and it's going to get worse. And I'm like, you know, that just threw you for a total loop. Like, you know, well, what the hell? You know, what am, what am I anticipating? Now you're actually starting to get a little scared. Like, you think you're out of the woods and you haven't even gotten to the woods yet. Um, and sure enough, within 24 hours, um, within 24 hours, uh, my fever had spiked. I was at like 103 over 103. You I know, mean, I was taking like thousand milligram of Tylenol every six hours as often as I could just try to break the, um, break the fever, keep it down. And it wouldn't, it didn't matter. It would come down from 103 to like 101.9, even with the Tylenol. And then as soon as you got towards, you know, the six hour mark, it, it would start spiking again. Um, I was having trouble breathing. I couldn't stand up. Um, my fatigue and everything was so bad that like, even just using the restroom, man, I couldn't like, you know, not to be graphic, but I couldn't even finish like taking a piss. Like my bladder would just stop working halfway through cause I had no energy left and I, I'd have to go back to bed. I mean, I, I would, I was having hallucinations at one point, you know, I propped up on my elbow. I woke up and I just had this whole feeling of like peace and serenity. And like, it was weird. Like you, like you hear about and uh, I was just, you know, I was hearing my own voice. And in my head, it was like, 
I was there, but it was like tunnel vision. Like I could see through my eyes, but everything else was dark. It would remind me of the movie Get Out, like the sunken space. That's what it felt like. And that's the best I can describe it. And uh, so I was awake, but I could hear myself telling me it's okay to let go. You know, you don't have to fight anymore. Like you just let it go. And uh, and then I'm like thinking, oh, maybe I should. You know, like I'm actually listening to my own self tell me this. And I felt like this, you just had this feeling like you could just unplug, like I'm plugging the, you know, uh, the vacuum cleaner from the wall. Like it literally felt like that. Like I could just, I could have just let go and that would have been it. And then I'm just like, no, you know what? Let me take my temperature. Because I, I mean, luckily I was conscious enough that I, I thought about that. I took my temperature and it was, oh, it was about 104.3. It was the Jeez. highest it had been. Yeah. I woke up my girlfriend right away, told her, she immediately got me like, you know, cold wash cloth and Tylenol and everything. Are you quarantined for this? Are you? Oh, is oh yeah, actually... we were quarantined. Yeah. Um, the only person who's, who's lives with us now here, it's me and her. And then our, my son, my son actually works in a movie theater as a manager. So he's constantly exposed to people. He yeah. was working up until the day we actually came down with all our symptoms. So more than, and he had it, he barely had a symptom, like a sniffle at, at best, a slight cough. So, he obviously was the one who picked it up uh, at the movie theater and brought it home. And then, you know, like I said, my girlfriend had it, but hers was just like a bad flu. I mean, it was bad. She was, it was the sickest she's been, but she was still able to function. Thank God. And, you know, help take care of me. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go downstairs to the fridge just to get some water. Like I'd be completely winded. Um, I feel like I was going to pass out, you know, cause I couldn't breathe. Um, it, what is the moment you felt like you beat it? Like, when did you start feeling a little bit better? So just, actually, after that fever, when it got that high, um, finally, uh, she, I, I was able to fall back asleep. Um, and she stayed up to, to watch me. Um, and my fever eventually broke while I was sleeping. You know, she was putting the cold compresses on my head and giving me the Tylenol. And um, finally, my fever broke. And I was just covered in sweat. Like, I mean, I was just drenched. And so when I woke up the next day, I could already tell I felt better. And soon enough, when I took my temperature, um, it was normal. Uh, and then the temperature did come back later that day. Uh, it got back up to about 101.9 or whatever. So it was still a decent temperature, but nowhere near what it was. I took some Tylenol then, that fever broke, and then it never came back. And then it was literally like a, a weight had lifted off of me after that. Like once that fever was gone, then I, I, I was still sick, still weak, but um, but I could just tell at that point that I had turned the corner on it. Like, uh, But this was 13, 14 days in at that point. So, I mean, it was, uh, like I said, that first week was bad. The second week was worse. Um yeah, it was not uh, not pleasant whatsoever. Um, From this experience, do you have like a, a new outlook on life? You look at did you look at things differently automatically? Oh, absolutely, man! Like I, I realized, like you said, you you know all the stuff I used to do, the fighting, and uh, I mean, I have a million stories. Things you know, you think you're invincible, man. Like you know, like you don't realize like how easy it is to be taken. You something can take you out, and I never thought I'm going to get sick. I like I said, I never even get a flu or anything. So it's like. Did I think I was going to come down with this? No. And when I did, I was like, oh, well, you know, it's something that only affects old people or people with underlying conditions or something. And like I said, my son, he's, you know, he's, he's almost my size. He's six, six, like three twenty, barely a sniffle, but he's younger. You know, my girlfriend, uh, she, she had it, but nowhere near as bad. And then me, for whatever reason, she just don't know. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it, 
damn near killed me. And it wasn't, it wasn't even the breathing. Like I wasn't on having to go on a ventilator. The only time I would really get out of breath was when I would get up to move and walk around. I'd have to sit back down and catch my breath. Um, but when I was at rest, I was able to breathe fine. So I never had a problem. Uh, mine was more the, the fever and the fatigue and stuff like that, the low oxygen levels. But uh, for whatever reason, man, that it just, uh, it, I got the unlucky, uh, like they say, you know, you don't know what your genetics are. You don't know how everybody's different, how it's going to affect you. Some people, it doesn't affect at all. Other people, it kills them. I, I'm just lucky. You know, I realize now, you know, like shit, I came super close to dying. Like, uh, yeah. there's people who had less of a fever than me that had seizures and, and damage. And even post recovery, um, I'm pretty much now a hundred percent now. Um, but for weeks afterwards, like my lung capacity was reduced. Um, I had to do breathing exercises and all this stuff to get that back. I mean, I couldn't even go up a flight of stairs without having to sit down. Uh, it was so bad. And then my memory, um, you can't remember anything. Like it was like, you know, you would, uh, I was having like these mental blocks where I couldn't remember names. I couldn't remember things I had done. Um, that it affected my memory. And sure enough, when I finally was able to see my primary care doctor and go over this and, you know, even went over it with the state of Illinois contacted me like two or three times uh, throughout the recovery process. And I had to do surveys and answer questions for their data and whatnot. And uh, both the nurse who contacted me and my doctor had said a lot of the symptoms that I had about the memory issues and stuff where other, other patients were experiencing. It did get better. Um, but they said it would take, you know, it was going to take weeks. So, I mean, I've been recovered now and it was quarantined until like the first week of, uh, of, uh, April. And now we're talking, uh, two months, almost two months out now. And I'm just finally getting back to a hundred percent. So it's yeah. been, uh, it's been weeks, weeks of recovery. Um, it, it's not something I'm eager to go through ever again. So, uh, yeah, it sounds miserable. It's, it's a wild story, and uh, I'm glad you made it through. I, I am curious. Uh, you're known for your grilling. You talked about losing your sense of taste. Yeah. When you finally got your sense of, sense of taste back. Did you just yeah. like absolutely destroy the grill? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, anybody can go on to my, my Twitter timeline, <laughs> Rusty Nuts DFS, and that's nuts with a Z. Uh, you feel free to browse through the media uh, files there of all the pictures. Uh, like I said, I. Uh, I was like a, the scourge of the barnyard after uh, uh, as soon as I got my taste back and, uh, you know, realized I had 20 pounds. I'm like, I got to put some back, some weight back on here to, uh, to survive in case there's a second round or I'm not immune or whatever. It's just a good excuse to eat as much meat as possible. So I literally just bought anything and everything I could get my hands on uh, grilling. So uh, we've, what, we've, what's your favorite thing to grill or is it just depends, depends on the day? Yeah, it just depends on what, what I'm in the mood for. Uh, I love making pulled pork, you know, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, the other day was a week or two ago. Like, uh, so, you know, now that we're cleared and we're, we've been, uh, you know, we've had the antibody tests and everything and we're cleared uh, by the state. I, we're like the only place where my parents who are both in their, you know, late sixties can come to. So they've been coming over here for like, you know, for dinner and stuff like that on the weekends because um, they can't go anywhere else. And uh, so I've been just cooking. My dad loves it, you know. So, but uh, yeah, I made like three pork butts the other day. And so I had like, uh, you know, 15 pounds of uh, pulled pork 
She's like, what are you feeding an army? And I'm like, oh, we got leftovers. So we were eating pulled pork all week, you know, pulled pork omelets, pulled pork sandwiches. Uh, so do a lot of pork, a lot of pork chops, a lot of uh, ribs. Uh, you know, everything's good on on the smoker. Like he, the the one I use uh, is a, a Rectech, it's called. It's a pellet smoker, uh, but it also functions as a grill. It's one of the higher end ones. It's great. I mean, I love it. it the best investment I ever made. Are all the neighbors trying to like become friends with you? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the move I would try to pull. How do I get invited to the barbecue? There's just smoke coming from the back of the when I, you know, especially when I'm doing the long cooks. There's just smoke pouring out the backyard, and you can just smell it. You know, my girlfriend will go for a walk, and she's coming back, and she's like, you know, I could smell that pork like down the block. She's like, you know, and our neighbors are always like, oh, what is that? What do you got going on now? What do you, what, what are you making? So, and I've had quite a few requests now. Uh, from family and friends on Facebook, as well as the neighbors and stuff. If uh, you know, since everyone's stuck in their house, they want they're asking if uh, I'm going to start doing takeout. So throw a couple extra, you know, pulled porks or whatever I'm making, a couple slabs of rib on there, and they'd be happy to take them off my hands for a fee. So yeah, do you do uh, care packages as well? Send one to Nashville. Right? Send one my way. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up, man. Um, yeah. uh, you're making me hungry when I follow you on the Twitter machine. Uh, we are uh, almost up against the clock. You know, you sure. don't dislike being a producer. Devin's like, yeah, we're up against the clock. We have things to do. And it's my apologies. We ran long. But I did have a couple more questions. Let's end on a, on a fun note, sure. I suppose. Uh, you're in Chicago. Uh, yeah. Chicago-style pizza, do you have a take? And is there a definitive uh, place? Like, if I'm visiting Chicago, where should I go? Where are you taking me? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Chicago is known for its stuffed pizza. We call it stuffed here. Everyone else calls it pan or deep dish, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same for the most part. Uh, obviously, Lou, Lou Malnati's is the is the goat. You know, everyone likes that. They have a specific crust, and if you're into that, um, I mean, it's obviously a Chicago favorite. It's everywhere in the, in the, su- the suburbs and the city. Um, also, there's Giordano's, which is your more traditional stuffed pizza, which that's just thick gobs of cheese and stuff like that and you know we have family members and stuff that come from out of town you know we'll, they'll want that but uh so you can't go wrong with either one i would say obviously lou malnati's if you're going to go for the touristy you know you want the authentic you know old school you know deep dish like that but most people here in chicago especially on the south side we eat what they call it's what it's called a pub style pizza so it's thin crust but it's a little bit doughier so it's not that crispy and it's cut into squares, not slices. Um, it's a firmer dough, and then it's just, like St. Louis style. It, probably because St. Louis is actually a lot of their foods are pretty similar up here. I mean, Chicago is a pretty much melting pot, but we just call it pub style pizza. It's we or we, you know, the, it's called thin crust to us. Like that's our thin crust. If you want that cracker crust, like you get in the East Coast and stuff, you have to order that special. This is just we call it thin crust, but it's like a pub style. Just a doughier thin crust pizza with tons of toppings and then tons of cheese on there. So there's just the, the dough holds up to the to the toppings and then it's literally, you know, like we'll get the my favorite is like we'll get a what they call the most places that are special. It's sausage, uh, Italian sausage, green onions, uh, mushrooms and uh, green peppers, mushrooms and onions. Ah, there you uh, and go. Italian sausage. And it, I mean. Each little slice weighs like, you know, <laughs> 10, you know, like a quarter pound. And these things are just piled high, but it's, I mean, that's, you know, you can eat it with a knife and fork. It's, it's that thick, but you know, that much with the toppings, but that's definitely, uh, definitely my favorite and what I grew up on and what most people out here eat. So 
Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Lou Maldonado's because uh, I mentioned Ricky Sanders from Chicago. He worked there uh, when he was yeah. younger. Yeah, I guess it's a super popular place where uh, even the locals go to, I suppose. And you have your own little place as well, too. Uh, favorite athlete as a kid, favorite athlete as an adult? Uh, favorite athlete as a kid was, uh, well, different eras, I guess. Growing up, I was actually, uh, even though I was on the south side, my grandfather, who I was really close to, was a Cubs, diehard Cubs fan. So I was big into Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson and that era of the Cubs. Um, but on the, you know, I was also a Sox fan. I was a fan of both back then. So uh, Ron Kittle was my Ron Kittle jersey. I actually got to meet him. Um, so I forget what I was in. Uh, I was a, He wore glasses, right, Ron Kittle, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah he was That's a catcher, old school catcher, old Comiskey Park. Um, that was my favorite memory as a kid. Uh, we actually got to go down there as part of our little league team I was on and we got to, you know, walk the stadium and meet all the players and get, get autographs and stuff. And I had his Jersey and stuff and he was just a really cool guy. And so, yeah, I was a big Ron Kittle fan. Um, then obviously as I get older, yeah, Jordan, I, mean, I don't know anyone who wasn't the Jordan fan. Yeah. Um, and then modern era, uh, like, you know, basketball wise, I'm a big boogie cousins fan. I always have been like, yeah, love boogie. Like yeah, the guy's a monster, I just, you know, sad. He's had all the injuries he's had and stuff like that. And it hasn't worked out, but, uh, you know, boogie in his prime was, uh, was pretty fun to watch. He was a lot of fun with Isaiah Thomas back in the day. Hassan Whiteside was in that team secretly, by the way, he was, I think he was yeah. in the practice squad or something like that, but, yeah, uh, yeah he was him when he was on the Kings, man, that was, that was fun times. So the Achilles is undefeated, though. I hope he comes back, though. I'm with you as well. But that's he's a big boy, and the Achilles is hard to lose. That's a uh, lot of pressure on that, yeah. I did want to fight you about this. Uh, you are not a fan of Breaking Bad, but we don't have time to talk about it. But if you want to, if you want to put a sentence or two out there, feel free to do it. Yeah, I couldn't make it past season one, man. That was, oh, uh, <laughs> so angry. I, I, I put that on Twitter. I should have put don't at me because uh, <laughs> I wanted to at you. Oh, yeah. Everyone's like, what, Rusty? Come on. Even, even – uh, even Wilson was like, dude, I thought I had some bad takes. <laughs> do you have, do you have a, a favorite show? You just, a, if, I'm, if I'm watching Breaking Bad, what should I watch instead? I, I mean, I love Ozarks. Uh, like we finished sure. that Mindhunter on, uh, I mean, that was only two, what, two or three seasons. That was great on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, uh, definitely check out Mindhunter. Um, current stuff i'm big into i ain't tommy g conspiracy wise but i'm big into like the uh my girlfriend loves like the ancient alien stuff and all that stuff and she watches those shows and a lot of the ghost shows and stuff that's the meme guy right i don't i, I think that's the guy with the meme yeah yeah that's the one i'm not saying it's aliens but it's alien. and he was like a a, a a he's a greek guy he's actually a bodybuilder uh promotion guy like that okay. how he got how he went from you know running bodybuilding contests to being an ancient aliens guy I'll, I'll never figure out but hey more power to him he's, he's versatile he's making money. So, <laughs> but uh yeah she loves those conspiracy stuff and, and things like that i've actually and i know it's going to sound hilarious but the biggest thing i've been watching that i discovered is uh barbecue pit masters of it's on DVR, dvr and it's just like contest and it has like some of the famous barbecue guys and uh so there's like seven or eight seasons of that i dvr so i've just been Go How do you become there. one of those guys? Can you become one of those guys? Oh yeah, yeah. They're they have uh they're just on the circuit and they have competitions here in Chicago and a lot of these people travel and stuff and you know uh so I and I have my the the grill I have the pit I have is a, a competition one so uh you know and uh I, I've thought about it if I had enough time I would definitely do it um 
you know, we'll have to see how things work out with the whole virus and quarantine stuff. A lot of these festivals and stuff have been canceled, but I wouldn't mind doing a couple local ones first and seeing how it goes, you know, just for the fun of it. I ain't obviously doing it for the money. I know there's some people that are really, really big into it, but I would be, uh, it would be a good time, I think, just to go out and cook, compete, see how I do, and, you know, have some good barbecue either way. So we uh, we saw you back in the day uh, MMA on ESPN, and maybe now in the future we can see you grilling on the Ocho. That's right. I I, <laughs> I, I even have part time uh, Pitmaster on my Twitter profile, and Rob, uh, <laughs> MLB model over at uh, Elite, constantly gives me crap about it because he's always trying to compete with me uh, in the cooking stuff because he's been doing it for a couple of years. So uh, we'll see. They were trying to set up some uh, grilling competitions, so we'll we'll see how that pans out. And come for the king, you best not miss. I think he's going to miss. I, I, my money's on you. I, I like your chances for sure. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we have to step aside. I much appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your Corona story with us because I, I mean, I'm yeah, sure there's a lot of listeners as well, too, that have, I don't know anybody that went through it. I know what's happening. I know it's a thing. I just yeah. think personally, nobody in my life has uh, had to deal with it. And certainly not at the, the level you did as well. Like I said, if, uh, if, if anything, telling my story about it and what I went through, and especially being a guy who didn't think I'd ever come down with it and then to have it as bad as I did. Uh, and and actually really grateful that I made it through um, because it, are. it was close there. And, uh, you know, so if it helps anybody be more cautious, I'm not one of these guys that thinks the whole country needs to be shut down and we can do it sensibly, but let's be smart about it. You know, like, you know, we obviously need to get back. We can't stay quarantined forever, um, but we also need to make, you know, anybody who went through I went what I went through or saw, you know, uh, one of their family members go through it would have a whole different appreciation for it. This thing is not a joke. And uh, like I tell my parents, you know, I yell at my dad constantly because he's, you know, even if he's wearing his mask, he's out at the store and stuff. And he's 68 years old and, you know, he's got some age related problems and stuff. And I'm just like, dad, you bring it home to you and mom, you, you ain't going to make it like bottom line. You know, what I went through, if they, if they were to go get that and go through anywhere near the level I went through, they would, they, they would, they wouldn't make it. And it's, uh, so it's, you know, and my oldest daughter has asthma. And so the same thing with her, like, sure. she might be fine. She might not, but why take that chance? So it's, uh, you know, just, be, you know, be sensible, be smart. Don't get cocky. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of tombstones for people who have been cocky over the years. So. Fair enough. I, uh, I much appreciate your time. Tell the people where they can find you out there in the, the interwebs. Yep. Uh, Twitter. At, at Rusty Nuts with a Z D F S. Um, happy to have any new followers. Uh, you know, for as long as you choose to follow, I have lots of different topics I cover. <laughs> lots of trolling. You know, it's all good-hearted. You know, I, I'll troll Tommy or a lot of these other guys in the industry or Big T or them. You know, so it's uh, or Dean with his bad takes. Yeah, I mean, sure, I, I get it too. I'll stand. You can at me. How about that? If you want, Mr. No I, Fun, yeah, Mr. No Fun. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. pro fun. <laughs> me and Chopper, I love it. Chopper, oh Chopper. man, anyway. I didn't realize you're a chopper, a chop lifer. I wasn't aware of this. Chopper <laughs> 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 head. <laughs> All right, I much appreciate it. That's Rusty Nuts from uh, Elite Fantasy. Rusty Nuts DFS with a Z, as we so eloquently put several times uh, from Elite Fantasy. Thank you all for listening out there here in the morning grind. I was Dean. We're out of here. Holler. Thank you.